0: To Between the Worlds. I'm your host, Amanda Yates Garcia. This season we focus on the Suit of Pentacles, all about abundance, the earth, eroticism, and the underworld. Stay tuned and learn how to re-enchant your world with tarot, magic, and more. Listeners, we have such a special episode for you today, I'll be talking with Danica Boyce. We'll be talking about abundance and the underworld. And we're going to go into so many delicious nooks and crannies of that underworld with you. We'll be talking about things like paganism versus neo-paganism, earth-centered spirituality, what it is even. We're talking about how paganism didn't really disappear with the invasions of Christianity into Europe. And we go into whether or not the other world even exists. And if if it does exist, how we get there, what spirit is. Desire is a force that moves us. We talk about the pagan holiday of Lunasa. We talk about dark and twisted monsters who live in caves. We talk about music and poetry and how it creates the world. In other words, we talk about all the most delicious things, which I think you're going to really love. So rather than breaking it all down for you before we talk about it, let's just talk about it with her. Before we get started, I've got a few juicy things I want to let you know about. I want to let you in on these lovely little bits. So first of all, I wanted to remind you that our Between the Worlds Ace of Pentacles Abundance Magic Workshop is coming up. The live call for that will be on October 3rd at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. But if you can't make it to that, you'll still get a download. You'll still get the PDF. The workshop is going to be super fun and cool. We've already sent out the meditation that you get and some other little goodies to help people prepare like um, an ingredients list and things like that. And in the workshop, you'll get three easy abundance rituals for daily use. You'll get one expansive ritual we're all going to do together you'll get chance to bring you into the rhythms of abundance and gestural moves that you can use to stir up abundance in your life we'll be revising our attitudes towards abundance with journal prompts and tarot spreads history of abundance magic throughout time And it's going to be a really great thing for anybody who's struggling with work-life balance or not feeling that sense of enoughness. We're going to be increasing our capacity to share, to thrive, and accessing the flow and pleasure that really is emergent and traveling through the spirit, the numinous spirit of the earth with us all the time. We're really going to be doing this abundance workshop from the perspective of earth magic. So please do get in on it. It is the $77 and you get a lot for your pentacle. <laughs> also, I wanted to let you know about this really cool new podcast called If I Go Missing, The Witches Did It. And it's starring Oscar-nominated actress Gabri Sidibay. And it's about how this Black writer goes missing and a white podcast host with a savior complex takes up the cause of finding her and collides with a coven of influencers she suspects are responsible. Now, this is for people who love or are fans of Get Out, The Craft... White Lotus. Um, I'm really excited about it. Also, my NZ assistant was like, oh, this looks so exciting when they saw it. So um, I think it's something the whole family can enjoy. And if you're looking for a juicy new podcast, it's like storytelling, a true crime podcast that also inserts some pretty trenchant social critique in there then this is the podcast for you. Again, it's called If I Go Missing, The Witches Did It. And we will put a link to that in the show notes. I hope you check it out. So let me tell you about our guest today, Danica Boyce. So you might know her actually from her podcast, Fair Folk which is a project dedicated to sharing sacred song and folk traditions of Europe and I I can't remember exactly when or how I found out about that podcast but as soon as I did I became an avid and obsessive listener I think I first started listening to it when she was doing fieldwork in Eastern Europe and constructed these really um, rigorous, elaborate, beautiful voyages into the folk music and folk traditions of the Balkans. And I just thought it was so beautiful and so amazing. And since then, she's gone on to develop her work and is doing all this stuff related to abundance now. And conscious embodiment and personal liberation and the revival of nourishing and sustainable traditional culture, especially related to European paganism, which is kind of an obsession of mine, as you probably know if you've been listening to this podcast for a while. So I really cannot wait to introduce you to Danica. So Danica, I am so thrilled and excited to have you here. I've been a huge fan of yours for a really long time. I love your podcast so much and I'm a fan of you in general. So thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here and to have this conversation. I, you know, You sent me some questions in advance, but I definitely don't know where we're going to wind up. <laughs>
0: And this is going to be a wild ride through the underworld, through through the, the territories of of land and rock and stone and myth. It's going to be amazing. But so before we go into that gate, before we cross the gate of Earth into the underworld, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice just so that listeners out there who maybe aren't familiar with you yet can can know a little more about you? Absolutely. I call myself a pagan,
1: I guess, life coach, abundance coach, um, possibility wrangler. I have been doing folklore research and teaching for about six years now as a podcaster, um, the maker of Fair Folk podcast. And I've been teaching online courses about abundance mindset and embodiment and paganism, myth and folklore in the last couple of years. And I coach people one-on-one on on those subjects
0: as well. So delicious and so perfectly in alignment with this season, which is the season of pentacles. I don't know if you, do you know about tarot at all? Are you like a tarot?
1: I love tarot and I've never actually thought about seasons in the tarot. So I'd love to hear more about that if,
0: if you don't mind. Well, this season we're covering, this season of the podcast, we're covering the suit of pentacles So Pentacles, as you know, corresponds to earth, to abundance, to wealth, to resources, to values, to to work, and to the body, to flesh. So all of these things that it seems like you are really make a huge part of your practice, of course, with the abundance coaching. Pentacles is all about that abundance or lack thereof. So this this is truly serendipitous to have you here well, let's just start by talking a little bit about neo-paganism itself or paganism itself. Is it neo? Is it paganism? <laughs> and then I want to especially zero in on paganism as a, as an earth-centered spirituality and what that means. So let's just start with paganism.
1: That's a great question. And I think that um, we, yeah, we can get really caught up in the difference between paganism and neo-paganism. And I understand why people want to differentiate between the two eras. Um, But I also think that there's something very continuous about paganism that, that carries through from the, what we'd call the pre-Christian era in Europe, which is, which is usually what we're talking about when we talk about paganism and the, you know, common era, the the present day, Um, because we think of paganism as an era because we've internalized culturally this belief that Christianity wiped out the traditional practices of peoples in Europe and elsewhere, when there's ample evidence in folklore that that actually isn't the case. So just to address that, I'd personally identify as pagan as opposed to neo-pagan, because to me, neo-pagan sounds a bit like an apology or a qualification when I know that I'm not living in, you know, 500 AD. And I also know that there is a continuity of engagement and relationship with the earth and beings that is available now as it was available then. Um, so paganism as an earth focused spirituality or tradition. I'm not sure exactly how you worded it
0: yeah earth centered spirituality is what I said, but we could call it whatever you want. <laughs> well, I kind of
1: love that question. um, it really it really threw me into a funny reflection on the fact that like paganism is very earth centered and because we inhabit the earth <laughs> and we're like um, mainly um, okay I'm having like many thoughts but there's this funny thought that occurred to me first that I just wanted to get out of the way where it's like actually paganism also reveres other planets and, and celestial beings um, in a way and it gives them agency in a way that the Christian worldview and science don't necessarily do you know they don't they're not animated in the same way that that traditional cultures tend to think of say the sun and the moon, <laughs> they're very central to the, the spirituality of, of traditional earth-based cultures. But yes, um, so earth-centered spirituality, I think, is a way of coming back home to where we actually are and accepting the place that we are as it is, as good enough, and also more than good enough, innately sacred and valuable and very much alive and agential And the reason that we have to even assert this, because it seems obvious, like we're Earth-centered beings, like we live on this planet, it seems crazy to think that we would not be invested in that or interested in that. But we definitely, for the last 2,000 years, have been really invested in this sort of narrative of the primacy of a sky god that lives, you know, above and away from us, and that we've been sent here kind of like aliens to pay off some kind of penance and then when we are good enough, we leave. <laughs> we get to leave this horrible place, which is, I mean, a, maybe a bit of a caricature of Christianity, but if you boil it down, that is that is the central narrative, is the idea that we're just in this world temporarily and that the world is fallen. It's not, it's not good innately. It's not worthy in itself. And any part of us that is part of this world, this earth, this planet, um, would also be unworthy, which is a deeply traumatizing way to see reality and our place, and our belongingness. So paganism, or re reanimating this, this relatedness, and this integrated uh, nature with quote-unquote nature, is super valuable to me, and super radical <laughs> in the face of the last many centuries of, of Western culture, specifically, although I know that this kind of turn to monotheism and hierarchy has been taking place in a lot of different cultures in the world, in this long epoch that we're in at the moment.
0: Hmm. So much there in that comment. Uh, Where (laughs) to begin? Well, so first of all, I'm really um, inspired by this idea of thinking about paganism as a spiritual modality that also includes thought, reference to celestial bodies like the sun or the moon or, or even um, constellations out in deep space as um, having agency or numinousness, numinous qualities in-spirited. And as you were saying that, it really triggered me to think about, yes, this idea of paganism as earth-centered being maybe um, a reductive way of looking at it, except that i was thinking well what if it's earth centered in the sense of pentacles in the sense of its materiality centered it's centered on the things that earth corresponds to which is you know the body the physical form which is the the place from which things grow the things that can be touched and felt and um like a an imminence that is implied by the pentacle or the earth not necessarily as an astral body but earth as in an element or um, a way of of engaging with reality and so that seems exciting to me that pagan would be earth centered in that way right it's materiality centered and yet that it also points to something that i'm wrestling with in my own practice and then even in this relationship to the other world which is something that we're going to be talking a lot about a lot today or the underworld because within paganism it is Earth-centered in all ways, right? It's related to the Earth. It's related to the seasons of the Earth and the beings on the Earth and the more-than-human beings on the Earth. And it's also related to the materiality. But the underworld and the other world are both under our actual feet, right? It is thonic. It is something we go down into, right, a lot of the time, or, like, into a mountain or under a lake or whatever, And yet it's also often implied that it's an imaginal space or like a dream world space or spiritual space. And that's, it's a riddle in my practice that I haven't quite solved yet, which is, is there a non-material realm that I'm interacting with? As a pagan, I see, you know, I, I, I foreground materiality, right? It's about the body. It's about the presence of the trees and the mountains and and the buildings and all of it but there's also this other thing like the imaginal world I know that this is kind of a vague dance that I'm kind of doing but I'm wondering I've been thinking the same
1: thing the last few days though too being like where does spirit reside like I really don't subscribe to the mechanistic worldview that it's just material like there's this weird idea that like when we talk about materiality um, and materialism like valuing the material we think of it as something that's dead still just because we're so heavily influenced by like this whole industrial era and that like that mechanistic worldview the idea that we're just one big machine or biological mechanism that's just playing out like a lot like the laws of nature in a disenchanted way I think that we still believe that like intellectually and so then we're trying to like knit spirit and body together where we're like okay well I know about souls which like we think of as disembodied and then I know about materiality like I know that they are together <laughs> like being like pantheist or pagan or animist like I know that those things are inseparable um to a degree but neither cancels the other out like they have to both be present But I think maybe me anyway, I get stuck on thinking about it spatially. Like I keep thinking like, well, where in the cell is it located or whatever? Like, is there a pocket where the little spirit
0: lives? Mm. (laughs) And yet one of the things that neo-pagans like to talk about is, you know, quantum physics, right? And like that's something that people often bring into um, the discourse when bringing up paganism or any kind of spiritual modality today. Um, And often when people do that, I feel ambivalent about it because I feel like I feel like our understanding of what quantum physics is, um, is probably pretty reduced (laughs) compared to what's actually going on. So sometimes I feel a little uncomfortable talking about it. But I hear what you're saying about, like, where is it? Like, what is the form of spirit or what is the form of the other world? And I think of it then. You know, in a quantum level that if the material world is truly made of energy, which it is, then the spirit and the materiality overlap. They're like, they are the same thing. It's a yes and,
1: right? <laughs> it's not like the energy mo- animates the spirit. It's, it's in, yeah, it's the same. It's one and the same. If we're saying everything is energy, then we have to believe that energy is material, Um, Or at least we perceive it that way.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, like in Zen, they say form is exactly emptiness. Emptiness is exactly form. And I think that this is maybe a a pagan way of looking at that. That material is spirit. Spirit is material. Mm -hmm.
1: And when we try to pry them apart, it's a violence, you know, it's it's traumatizing.
0: It's nuclear. Mm -hmm. Right. It's (laughs) like a splitting of the atom. It's like literally trying to split the energy away from the material world yeah and it seems like there is something deeply embedded in like the western philosophy or you know christian tradition of like trying to split the the spirit from matter
1: the mover from the moved yeah Yeah. this this god that's outside of the world is is like like it's inconceivable even though it's what i grew up being taught my my lived experience my embodied experience tells me that like that makes no sense that God would be outside of the world. Like, for me, it helps too to frame it. Like, what if, okay, what if the animating principle that we think of as spirit, which is just the translation to, right? Um, in that, again, that sort of Western modern worldview. But um, what if that's desire? Like, what if that is like, and desire is like a deeply embodied experience. Like, when we want things, when we crave connection of one kind or another or expansion. These are very much not separate from from our lived experience, right? And that is the thing that moves us forward. That's the thing, like in really gross, basic terms. It's like that's the the motivator to reproduce or whatever. Um, and that's that's been like such a, science has done some hilarious things with with describing the mechanisms of the world. But not that I'm like anti evolutionary theory, but I think about it a lot and I'm really working on reframing it for myself too, because reproduction isn't the primary. Motivation of life, like you could, everything could stop reproducing and life would carry on. Like there's, there's so much more going on materially in the world than just, than just like genetic lineages. Like
0: it's, it's. I don't know. How I got on this track, but like I just feel like no. But I've been, I've been thinking about that so much too recently. Like yesterday, I was on this walk and I've just been thinking so much recently, especially since we entered into the Pentacle season about the Earth as Lover right the earth is as a being that created and loves us in a like romantic way and thinking about the, the abundance presence on the earth and how like all of our needs are met like we're thirsty here's water like we're hungry there's like fruit for us to eat you know the world is full of all these pleasures all these interesting things and all these delights and i feel like the the earth is given it to the beings here out of love out of a desire for relationship. And I feel like the materialist worldview or the worldview, the sort of scientific materialist worldview that everything is disembodied or that, you know, there is no real spirit in matter or that, um, that it's all just biological processes and there is no real feeling behind it. There's no heart behind it. I guess we might say there's no soul. And I was thinking yesterday, that's kind of like saying, that mothers feed their children because of a biological imperative to do so. Like that, well, your mom makes you a sandwich when you're hungry because she's biologically like programmed to do that. And and that just removes love from the equation. And sure, like she is. But also there are other reasons, like there's soul there. It's so evident to me that there is. And for me, like the most mind-boggling thing when you look at this like numinous, magical, enchanted planet that people can look at it and be like, that's not real, that that spirit is not there. That's what creeps me out and is mind boggling.
1: It's creepy. Yeah. Cause like you could just choose different language and it would mean a totally different thing where you're like, it's just biology. Okay. What if biology meant like Love, right? Like, or it's like, how do you know, like, that story about, like, how it, like, we're just reproducing because we're, like, forced to by some, like, biological law. It's like, what if we just replace that with, like, I feel like that story is being told by somebody who doesn't enjoy sex. Like, do you think you just have to have
0: sex? Like, nobody's forcing
1: you? Like, what about the, like, it wouldn't be enjoyable Um, if it was... Yes, I do.
0: I mean, I, I do think it's really around language. And, you know, I was reading this article the other day about trees and plants and, like, it's possible that, like, plants can see. And they were talking about just the, you know, the hierarchy of evolution and as the sort of biological model of, like, evolution from, like, plankton to you know to like white men who are landowners and finally we've arrived but um but how that model of evolution of dis- separating things into a hierarchy of like dominating forms is just completely wrong is like not at all scientific it has no scientific basis whatsoever and that it's completely ideological it's it's totally based on religion and that people's like the past 200 years or 500 to 2000 years of science that basically blinded us to what is actually happening scientifically and and they use the name of science to justify it oh yeah
1: and it's perceivable too like it is like basic facts are are concealed by like things that you could sense in your body and in your lived experience like you don't actually have to be that smart to intuit like a two-year-old could point that out yes what's actually happening it's just this like vast nightmare fantasy about like the disenchanted world that's just like living to compete and destroy the other which is like not even like if you just pan out like a tiny bit that doesn't work at all and is clearly not what's happening right
0: I mean that's like a very selective worldview that you really have to work hard to maintain it takes 12 years of formal schooling voila <laughs> boom like it takes
1: that long to become a druid if we, for comparison <laughs>
0: well so so why do you think it is that it's important to have deities and spiritual practices centered around nature then I mean I feel like we're kind of talking about it but maybe we can zero in a little yeah
1: I like to think of things in terms of like our emotional realities um because that's something we can all relate to like our social drives are very real and though um we try to like you know discredit them (laughs) Like, oh, that's just a feeling. It's not a thought. Um, feelings are what make us do things. Feelings are our primary motivators. So if we're trying to come to a specific outcome, which would be like us feeling good in the world, number one, and us not destroying the world, number two, like, or maybe start with not destroying the world, yeah. so survival, <laughs> survival, number one, um, number two, flourishing. But flourishing justifies survival. Like I think that it's not one then the other. I think that they both play into each other equally. I don't think that survival is really worth it if we don't have flourishing as well available. So those two things in play, the reason that we do things and the reason that we act is because we want to experience connection and belonging. And if we want to continue living in this world and also enjoying it, it makes sense that we... Frame the world. We tell stories about the world that make it a place that we can actually belong, like a a community of beings that we can meaningfully participate in. Um, So having deities associated with nature, giving nature meaning, which just sounds absurd to me. Like nature just has meaning. Like we can fight against it, and if we all like wiped ourselves out, nature would continue having meaning without us. Like nature just has meaning. We are nature. There's no separation there. But because we've been living in this. Yeah. Vast fantasy. (laughs) Vast fantasy would be a really fun band name, by the way. Um, (laughs) It's hard to see that. So we really need to cultivate stories and experiences that we can immerse ourselves in that allow us to feel that belonging with nature. And I think one of the things that we often sort of miss when we're in that process of deifying nature is the fact that we're also participants and expressions of nature and that we we have to start by actually loving ourselves and actually believe, believing that we belong here and that this place loves us and wants us. And so, I mean, the most primary example of that would be sort of like a loving mother nature god. That's where most of us kind of start if we're starting from scratch with paganism, you know. Mm. Like the Gaia idea. But there's so many other deities available in this idea of earth. Like earth is like stone and it produces water and its soil and its corn and it's like literally everything but the sky, you know and is in a system with the sky. It's not in opposition,
0: but yeah, belonging. Like we want to belong. And the sky is part of earth too, because even like the thunder, mm-hmm. like thunder doesn't come from outside of the earth. No. It comes from the atmosphere of earth.
1: It's not like Jupiter. I guess it's called Jupiter though. It?
0: Yeah, you're right. No, you're right. I always think about that, about how, you know, that there's this idea that meaning is something that we impose on the universe or purpose is something that we impose on the universe. And to me, that again, is so mind boggling and clearly wrong because we're not outside of the universe. Like the universe made us and we have meaning. So therefore there is meaning in the universe. If If you have experienced it, then you know that it's there and you're not like standing outside with like, here's you, here's Amanda. And then there's like the universe over there. Like it's all right here. So whatever we feel, whatever we experience, like love obviously exists in the universe. We, we keep talking about it all the time. Exactly. <laughs> so we wouldn't be doing that if it didn't exist. But I love what you're saying about essentially that the universe is or nature's so much more beyond you know, it exists before humans ever came and will exist long after. And yet the way that we understand it or the one way that we have to to be in romance with it is through story or through language. So the stories have to be just because of the way narrative is necessarily structured, I guess, unless you're like a, I don't know, postmodernist or something like um, stories have characters. <laughs> stories have to have things that do things. So in that way, we, when we are talking about deities, we're talking about things that do things in the universe. And by, by seeing the, the deities that are, are pagan deities that are like, yeah, like Gaia or thunder or wind or kind of a mixture of like war and wind or, you know, all the different ways that one could come into being in the world. Um, I love that. Well, so what are some of your favorites? Like, do you have a couple of favorite myths or fairy tales or stories, especially about the underworld realms that you might want to share with us?
1: Yes, totally. And I want to mention before I start, it's amazing that we're talking about this right now because there's several holidays that focus around the end of July and beginning of August that focus on this this uh, relationship between a thunder or a weather or a sky god and the and an earth god and the the sort of competition or just um tension that exists between those two things that produces abundance that produces grain that produces gold and lunasa is one of the main ones so i'll talk about that next but i just thought that was so interesting because it's like yeah knowing that it's someone probably chose this as the pentacle season because of the fact that it's the first harvest in in Europe, and the the materiality is first and foremost, and the and the labor that's involved in that, and the abundance that comes from it, and the very much embodied feeling of of high summer in the harvest. But I want to talk first about because we were talking about where is spirit in the world, and how does the underworld and the other world relate to? us walking around every day you know where is that located and and like you said the the other world can be both underground it can be like so i'm talking let's talk about irish tradition for a second it can be underground in caves it can be um through various openings like maybe an opening in a tree um it can just you could step on a stray sod um, so like a piece of of land that will that sort of lifts you and transports you into the other world and then you're gone for a few hours and you you show up in a different location and you don't know how you got there. And so it is very much related to your location, yet there's also this invisibility about it and it's it can be like a parallel world. So I think the the other world in in Irish tradition and and you could say Gaelic tradition generally is a place where there's these ideal forms, not in like the Greek tradition kind of way, but like you know, it's a land of youth and plenty, and it's always overlayered with this world. And yet, there are certain openings or mechanisms to create openings, and one of the most common ones would be a fairy mound. You know, the 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 Ashi uh, have have certain hills that that they live in that you, that like, say the fairy king or the fairy queen might inhabit. And you might hear music coming from that place and it's not safe necessarily. Like going to the other world is not an ordinary thing. And therefore it like always has risk. It's totally unpredictable. It's not human, Um, but it is divine. Like, I think that's what everyone agrees on is that the divinity is, is so it's ever present, right. But it's also not always visible to us. And it's only available under certain conditions. And typically one of those conditions is like bravery or maybe being born with a particular non-normative way of being makes you available to fairy encounters. Like when I was younger, I used to, I used to, well, I lived in a really forested area. And so I'd walk in the forest a lot and I really felt instinctually that, that I was going to encounter openings to the other worlds everywhere I went, and I was always looking for them. And, I, and it's funny because I think I found them anyway, but it just wasn't so material. Like, I was already walking around in a semi-trance, like, you know, channeling songs and, and things, and that's kind of, that's all you really need. You don't need to find the, the door, you know.
0: Well, what, what you're saying really makes me think about how, like, the other world is concurrent with this world, right? Like they, they're interwoven together, but those, those thresholds are really about story. Like Mm. that, when you cross the threshold, you cross into the story that is always there, that is always interwoven with our regular reality. And we experience exactly what you're talking about all the time, like all of us do in the sense that you know, we're going about our ordinary life and we're going to the post office and we're paying bills and we're not, you know, we are living in the other world. The other world's right here. It's like, it's not hidden, Mm -hmm. but we can't see it because we're not, our brain is not in the place where we can be with it. But then I love what you're saying about, yeah, people who maybe experience reality non-normatively or anybody can step into a place that suddenly makes them aware of the story or s- open to seeing somehow that there is spirit right there, that there is like divinity right there. And once you enter into that, you're entering into the myth, you're entering into the folktale and um, and it's not safe, but it's it's life at its most raw and real in a way and it's so neat i mean
1: you pointed out to me that i use the word non-normative like ways of being and i actually think that it might just be that it's not normative to exist in a state of like being that open all of the time or more often than other people appear to be um being that available to to romance with the world um opening yourself to to seeing value in everything even if it is an experience that other people would would interpret as negative or frightening or vulnerable. And I almost wonder if spirit is value in that way, where it's like, when we talk about things being sacred, what do we mean? Do we mean more valuable? Um, What is, what is sacred? You know, is it because we, we would think, Oh, exalted. And it's like, well, we only think exalted if we're thinking of something that's higher up. And that's actually not innate to the world. Like that higher up is better. (laughs)
0: I think of sacred as the thing that we sacrifice for or the thing that we make sacred through ritual, through ceremony, through honoring. Like everything is intrinsically sacred to a certain degree, but that we make a thing sacred through the way that we engage with it. In other words, it's through a relationship that a thing becomes sacred.
1: So it is about what we want and what we love and what we desire and engaging with that. So that's want I brought a song that I want to share, and this is really relevant to it. So speaking of the fairy mounds and the idea that there's an underground world where, say, the king or queen of, of fairies lives, um, there's this whole collection of stories, I'd say across Europe, where somebody is, is walking through the forest or they're napping under a tree and they encounter a being who's clearly otherworldly. They might be called like an elf knight or they might be called the king of fairies and they might be just, you know, Tamlin, like some mysterious person that they can tell they might be green you know (laughs) they're not what you're used to seeing and um, and they fall in love with one another and the person is invited to or compelled sometimes to go with this otherworldly person into the other world and all kinds of things happen there and i wanted to bring one example that i find really compelling and the first form of this this story that we have is is called King Orpheo, and it's from a Middle English manuscript. But the story, the name of Orpheo probably comes from Orpheus of Greek myth, Orpheus and Eurydice. There's a story, I think it's a romance between the two of them. But there's a ballad that made its way from the Middle Ages via like Middle Danish tradition. So it's a Scandinavian story and into the the Shetland islands and, um, and all over, I'd say all over the British Isles, but there's the tune to this song, Sir Orfeo or King Orfeo that is contempt, like now sung was actually not found until like the fifties, I think, or the sixties, or even maybe later on the Island of Unst. And the chorus to the song has a mix of this middle Danish language and Gaelic, I think. And so it's this hybrid of Celtic myth and the idea of like the fairy mound, and it's also the Danish story about um I think maybe like a water spirit that kidnaps somebody
0: and also Greek myth, right if it's and Greek
1: yeah, yeah, so it's like a it's a I would say it's like a universal story at least in in Europe, and this story is about a fellow who's a musician of some kind, sometimes he plays the harp and sometimes he plays the pipes. And his wife is is stolen by the king of fairies. And he goes down into the fairy mound, into the fairy kingdom, and is invited to a party. And um, and this story ends happily, which is uncommon, I think. But he plays his instrument for the king. And the king asks what he would like in return for his beautiful performance. And he asks for his partner back. And and the king grants this to him. Um and the version of the song, the recording I have here is from the band Alva.
0: Yeah, play it. I can't wait to hear it. There was a king lived in
2: the east,
3: Skowen o'le the
2: grun. There lived a lady in the west, Wagi ochten han grun This king, he has a hunting gun, Skowen o'le green. And he's left his lady Isabel alone.
3: all luck.
2: Oh, I wish you'd never gone away. Scow all the For at your home is dull and way. Wagyocht and all luck. For the king of fairy with his dart. Scow all the green. Has pierced your lady to the heart, Wag han grun And after them the king has gone, Skowen the grun. But where they came it was a grey stone, Wagyoghten and grun Then he's took out his pipes to play, Skowen o'lag but saw his heart with dole and way Wag ochten han And first he's played the notes of nigh Skowen o le And then he's played the notes of joy Wag ochten han And then he's played a good gabaril Skowen <speaking in> on <Spanish> the that might have made a sick heart heal, what han Now come you in into our hall,
3: Skowen all the
2: and come you in among us all, what han Then he's gone in into the hall, Skowen all in the hall. And he's gone in among them all Wagy och dem han Then he's took out his pipes to play Skowen o'n But saw his heart with dull and way, Wagy och han grun And first he played the notes of noy Skowen o'n and then he's played the notes of joy Wagioch
3: den lag
2: And then he's played a good and all o'r lagoon That might have made a sick heart heal
3: Wagioch den lag
2: Now tell to us what you will have all green. What shall we give you for your play?
3: Wagioch ten han grun o'r
2: What I will have I will you tell?
3: all o'r
2: green, And that's my lady Isabel
3: Wagioch ten han grun o'r
2: You take your lady and you go home
3: Scallon all the
2: green and you'll be king of all your own
3: Wagiokten hamnun allak
2: He's taken his lady and he's gone home Scallon all the green and now he's king of all his own Wagiokten
4: hamnun allak
0: That is so Beautiful. Do you know anything about this band, Alva? Like how did they come to know this song or how did they come across it? Or do you know what their deal is? I wish I knew
1: anything about this band, (laughs) Alva. (laughs) I love, um, so if you're listening, there's that point where it's like halfway through the song, they really take their time. They start singing in harmony, just this really basic interval. And it just sort of like, it has this effect on my body when it happens, where it's like two kind of worlds open up (laughs) right when they enter fairyland.
0: Yeah, it's like doing in the music what they're talking about or what we have even been talking about, which is that overlapping of worlds, like just in the way that the harmonies are happening. It's so amazing.
1: I just had a mind-blowing moment about like polyphony where I was like the multi like multi um I don't know what you'd call it, but like singing in different, singing multiple melodic lines at the same time, which is like a...
0: I love that so much. I just want more polyphony in the world. Yes, absolutely. I just need it all the time. I just want all my rituals to be based on it. I love it so much. Yeah,
1: need, need more of that. I think that it's an expression of like this multiverse concept. It just occurred to me like with this song that like all the realities that are happening at the same time and honoring them all and how they how they put each other into relief how they express one another by existing multiverse
0: <laughs> yeah yeah multiverse so you know what you're saying is so interesting to me because i feel like my belief is that the the universe spirit comes to us in the form of song and spirit comes to us in the form of story and we can really tell you know, the way that we are interacting and interpreting the universe spirit by looking at the music and the storytelling of the culture that is, you know, producing it. So, you know, the polyphony or, you know, these overlapping tales that are happening in this song demonstrate a kind of worldview of like overlapping, um, like mystiques or mysterious forces. Whereas, so much of the music that we're we're getting today is so hyper-produced to be so ex- it's like not human in a sense. Like there's those, I forget what they're called, but they're like little clicker timers that make sure that everybody hits exactly the right pitch, exactly the right moment. And it's kind of like filtered through a computer. Now I'm showing my bias here because I'm like such a, an acoustic loving fool. But um, you know, like uh I think that by telling different stories by making different kinds of music we actually make the world or we make an access to we we enter we find that 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 door to the spirit world by doing that by making it we can put more of it in the world that's why poets and the bards are, are so important that's why the singers are so important Carolyn if you're listening <laughs> <laughs> that's I, I you know that makes so much sense because
1: Like a lot of people tell me, like with this podcast for folk that I've been making, there's an episode about polyphony and I like to include a lot of polyphonic songs and people tell me that like, you know, it's this wordless experience where they're like they the song opens up a world for them. It opens up like an entirely different cosmos almost because like you were saying, like Western modern music is so ordered and like it comes from that classical tradition where like classical music in the like Renaissance era, they they heard some peasants singing in polyphony in the fields and they were like, oh yeah, we should do that, but let's port it into our worldview, which is that there's these like really strict hierarchies and they have a really specific distance between them. And so it's always going to be in this like thirds or whatever it is that (laughs) classical music decided polyphony was going to be for the last like 500 years. Whereas the, the polyphony that the peasants were singing is, is in these like these intervals that sound to us like super like, um, crunchy and like almost conflict ridden and that, and like when you sing those songs and you have those intervals that sound unnatural to the Western classically trained ear, you're making divine, you're, you're ritualizing things that are not perfect and are not orderly, you know, that are, that tend towards death.
0: And they're like cyclical. And cyclical. Yes. (laughs) Because you're like zoning in and zoning out and coming back and like riding this wave back and forth. Whereas now, like, you need to hit that chorus by 30 seconds in or people are going to be like turning off the radio. And anyway, it's only really there so that you can sell it for a commercial. And again, I feel like it's this weird narrative about sex
1: again, too. It's like if the if the song doesn't map like the male orgasm, <laughs> it's
0: like oh a very second
1: wave feminist approach, <laughs> but um, then it's not good. And it doesn't like tell the story that we wanted to tell. Does it have like a climax with like a conflict and then a resolution and like, Um, does it all happen within four minutes?
0: (laughs) That's so amazing because that song that you just played does have a very feminine eroticism to it of kind of like verging up and then backing off and then going in and going under and like circling around. And even listening to it has a very different, yeah, feeling than that sort of like grind to climax, which I also enjoy, you know, both, in music and in sex, <laughs> yes. but I think there's like more than one way to do this.
4: Oh.
1: You had another tale. So, right now it's the time of year. And when we're speaking, that's just before Lunasop. It's a Celtic holiday that was celebrated in Ireland until very recently at the end of July, early beginning of August. And this is a festival for Lou. And Lou is this god of many skills who is related to weather and to like hilltops and heights. And there was this amazing woman named Myra McNeil who wrote an entire book called The Festival of Lunasaw. It was published by the Folklore Society in maybe the 60s. And she argued that the pagan festival that preceded this like modern folklore festival of Lunasaw was dedicated to this god Lu, and that the central focus of all the ritual and the celebrations that happened at that time that involved like climbing hills and involved these like three faced stone figure statues that were like just a head that was like placed on a hill um and are around the the ripening of the grain at that time, the first harvest that they staged this battle between this Lu figure and someone named Crom Duve whose name translates into dark and twisted and her interpretation is that Crom Duiv was the earth god and he dwelled underground and he represented like darkness and he had in folklore there's all these stories about like caves bearing treasure that people break into or are given the gifts from um in Irish in Irish folk tradition that lasted until the modern era and so her theory which i really I'm convinced of is that Crom Duv keeps the, the treasure of the harvest underground and that Lou, you know, either like battles him or tricks him or somehow negotiates with him. The sky negotiates with the earth to bring forth this golden harvest that we all enjoy. And so there's this, like, it doesn't have to be like extraction, but there's this interplay. There's this gravity between the two, planes that we perceive as humans that where most of our activity happens between the sky and the earth and this polarity this feeling of being pulled up and down at the same time that produces it's that tension and it's that vertical and depth-based relationship and attraction this mutual attraction that produces all of the abundance that we can receive and enjoy And it's so neat because Lou was also in like the mythology, the Irish mythology. He was responsible for creating the seasons themselves. Like he won this epic battle with this one-eyed God, Baylor, and he was given the gift that he could, if he wanted, he could have endless summer. (laughs) And he said, no, like I would actually love instead for us to have four seasons. And he said, "Um, this has suited us. Spring for plowing and sowing. Summer for strengthening the corn. Autumn for the ripeness of corn and reaping. Winter for consuming it. And there's this this circularity of it. And also, I love the idea that winter is like when you rest and you just eat.
0: Mm. (laughs) Tell stories around the fire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The autumn
1: is his area of expertise and where the most activity happens. So... Yeah, this is the time that we're in right now, and it's Pentacle season, and it's all about gold, right? The grain is gold, the sun is gold. The sun and the earth have this interplay and this this mutual attraction that produces everything that we we need to survive and flourish. And um, there's a song that I brought that relates to that. It's a it's an English song called John Barleycorn, and this version is by the Young Tradition, and it's the story of how this very much personified grain figure called john barleycorn is ritually (laughs) slaughtered and processed into to beer and i think bread and then rises again and um it's crazy that this song is like made it into the modern era in england because it is very animist and it's very pagan in nature and it has this this similar idea of of death and rebirth being one and the tension between them being what creates all life and that that mutual desire between creation and destruction being the most beautiful and generative thing. So this is John Barleycorn by The Young Tradition.
0: I love it. Let's listen to it. There were three
3: kings come from the West and victory to try. And they have taken a solemn oath, John Barleycorn should die. For a dog and did he fall a dog and did he go on. They took a plow and they plowed him in a pile of clouds on his head. And they have taken a solemn oath, John Malikon was dead. Fall the dull and Didier Fall the dull and didier go on. They let him lie for a full fortnight till dew on him did fall. And bicorn sprung up again, and that amazed them all. For the doll the diddy eh? for the, the go They've let him stand till midsummer day, till he looked both pale and wan. And by corn he's grown a beard and so become a man. For the diddy Fall the diddy-ay and go on. Then they've sent men with size so sharp to cut him off at knee. And then for Johnny Barleycorn, they served him barbarously. For the dull and did he eh? for the dull that did he go on. Oh, Barleycorn is the choicest grain that ever was grown on land. It will do more than any grain by the turning of your hand. Fall a the diddy, I fall a the diddy, I go on.
0: Well, so in in interest of time, there's so many things that I want to discuss with you. So I also want to talk about the connection between the underworld and abundance. So. Do you feel like there is a connection? I feel like we have been speaking to it, but can we tease it out a little, make it a little more clear? Mm-hmm.
1: I feel like it's almost hard to talk about because the underworld is where almost all abundance comes from. Like the underworld is is it. Like that's the whole thing. Like we've got some things that seem to come from above, but again, rain is just evaporated water, which came from the earth originally. Um, and water comes from underground. The things that we think of as like abstract abundance like gold and like grain and things that we can consume or trade those also come from inside the earth and they they come out of the earth I mean it's just such a huge topic I don't know exactly
0: what it start. is it is but it, because yes like all abundance comes from the earth all abundance comes from the underworld and then also like in so many mythologies across the world like the underworld deity is the lord of wealth or you know goddess of wealth you know they have the gems they have the gold they have the grain they have the fruits they have all of that but also what's strange is there are a lot of underworld deities like we told the story of Tannhauser on this um, season where it speaks to like a fairy queen who is very sexy and you know erotic and and full of abundance but also a lot of the time the underworld deities are like neutered in some way,
4: hmm.
0: like Hades, right? Like he's, he's not sexual, really, although he does, you know, abduct and who knows what else, uh, Proserpine or, or Persephone, or like Osiris gets his, you know, dick cut off. And then, I don't know, it, it seems like there's this relationship between abundance and wealth and um, death. I mean, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well, I guess maybe, yeah, like n- being neutered
1: in some contexts or some cultures could also be like you're not able to continue life. Like you're the, I mean, often the, the I mean, as Christianity adopted, like the Lord of the underworld is also the Lord of death. <laughs> and the underworld is where you go when you die. And it's where all of our ancestors are existing. And it's where then that's why that's where abundance comes from. Like um, the precondition for abundance is death and just and decay and um, compost and shit and and often actually i think a lot of these abundance gods in like older traditions including like japan and ancient rome as well are are gods of of feces and of toilets and of like that's where that's what fertility is you know and it's not separate from like, for some reason, we think of it as a point on this circle where that's like far away from everything else, but it is the absolute precondition. And not just precondition, like decay is happening at the same time as growth all over. It's not not like a discrete cycle that you could actually pull out of the world. Um, Shit is gold, and they're next to each other, and they're the same thing.
0: The ultimate alchemical axiom, absolutely. And also, I think that we're seeing it right now, too. Like, the world is dying, like things are falling apart, it is all dissolving, and there is something new being reborn. And we're, we're part of that. Like we're, we're creating that, which is really magnificent as well. I guess it depends on where, yeah, if you want to look at the lily pad or the shit that it's growing from, I suppose. How do you feel like abundance in the earth relate in your own practice? Like, what are some of the rituals that you have for abundance? Or how do you relate to it in your in your work with your clients?
1: I think, okay, so one of the main, I mean, this may sound cliche at this moment in history, but one of the main rituals that I have for embodied abundance is really just continually looking around myself and being incredibly grateful and enamored with everything that actually is, including the things that I don't prefer (laughs) the things that I don't like the things that I think of as death or destruction or loss. And those are all, those are all valuable and valued parts of the world and, and leaning into neutrality about the way that things are and not, not like bypassing them and pretending that they don't exist or that they're somehow good because it's good and bad criteria. It's not something that the world experiences. That's just a perception that we have. Um, yeah, like making a list of things that I feel grateful for and cultivating gratitude for things that I don't immediately connect with or think I want with my brain, cultivating enjoyment and like pleasure, like physical pleasure of all kinds. And that includes desire for positive experiences. That includes kinds of abundance that we consider taboo, like money. (laughs) For some reason, like it's amazing that pagans who are like so interested in, in materiality as divinity as a group are some of the most anti-money people. And because of the ways that they've seen folks who are disconnected from Earth behave with it. But it's it's strange that we carry this belief that we would also go forth and do the same things, even though we have totally different values and a different worldview than the folks who are are committing harm with that resource. But yeah gratitude and enjoyment. Like, I actually think that's the main thing. Like, how much can I enjoy this life and share that with others?
0: It's so true. I feel like my practice really shifted when I realized that it wasn't just about asking for things or trying to get things. Although, yeah, I mean, I'm a witch, so my practice is based on desire. I mean, witchcraft Mm -hmm. is based on desire and desire is a good thing. But that when I shift to a practice of gratitude and honoring and making sacred or recognizing and honoring the sacred then i step into the fairy world like i step into the other world like that is the key to abundance is being able to live from a space of gratitude which yes again i i don't want to be like spiritually bypassing you know for folks who are living in really dire circumstances and you know there is real suffering and oppression And I think we're all trying to find our way out of that or trying to create a world where that doesn't exist. And being able to honor, for instance, like we don't have to honor the suffering and oppression, I think, but for instance, being really grateful and honoring the people who are like standing up against it. Like for instance, the water protectors, the First Nations people who are defending against Line 3 in um, Minnesota right now, you know, I'm not grateful that the oil companies are digging that pipeline and destroying the planet, but I'm grateful that like there is all this valor and passion in in people who are willing to stand up against that.
1: The precondition for being able to stand up against injustice is valuing what is, right? Like is valuing that water that we would otherwise like. So the people who want to destroy these waterways with, with pipelines are the people who can't actually appreciate Waterways as they can't access that gratitude.
0: They're not experiencing gratitude. Yeah. You are so right. Wow. Yeah.
1: So it's not like experiencing gratitude is no is is almost never bypassing like true gratitude, right? And true like awareness of what's what is, and and also honoring your own inclinations and what you do and don't want. I don't want the world to be destroyed. I really don't. And it's it's also just my preference (laughs) in a way, like um, but it's it's a preference that I would die for, you know. So okay, that's, that's real. And that's my desire. And it also, it knits together with this, with this gratitude and awareness of the world and gratitude. Again, gratitude doesn't have to be gratitude isn't happiness. You know, gratitude is a lot of different emotions. Gratitude is presence and connection. And that can be presence with feelings that are labeled unpleasant because it is, it's painful to acknowledge the reality of the world and how much we love it. And it's painful to love the world and risk losing it. And we suffer more for that.
0: Exactly. You know, as you're speaking to this, I just you've just made it so clear, like the people who are working on those pipelines, the the people who are working, the corporations who are laying that pipeline down, they are experiencing lack. They're doing that out of a sense of lack, not out of a sense of gratitude or abundance. Because if they if they knew that abundance, if they could see and feel that abundance, and they wouldn't be doing that. But yeah, it just uh, what you're saying just really speaks to me. And also, yes, like it hurts to love the world. It like hurts to love our fellow human beings. It hurts to love animals because they are being harmed and destroyed. You know, it it hurts um, to care about justice and to see it corrupted or not lived out to see people that you love and care about harmed, it it is so painful that sometimes it gets to the point where I'm like, I don't know if I can bear this. I don't know if my body can contain this kind of pain. But would I give that up? Like, would I want to relinquish that love so that I don't feel it? And the answer is definitely no. It's a big no. I want to love. I'm. It's worth it to me. But um, so I'm wondering also about with your rituals for abundance, you know, how might you ritualize that? Like, yes, gratitude, but just like, does that just mean like making a list in the morning or what, what does that look like for you?
1: <laughs> I, one of my favorite ways, I mean, they're just the things are so simple, right? It's like singing and feeling that song and and like embodying the way that we, the way that we were talking about it, we're like, oh my god, singing in polyphony is opening, you know, multiverses. <laughs> Holy shit! So that's that's one way to ritualize it, where it's like you're actually formally doing an intentional act, and it may be with other people. But also, when I'm by myself, one of my favorite rituals is is just dancing and dancing my gratitude and my intention at the same time. So as an intentional practice, like. Um, and it's been COVID for a while, so it's hard for me to remember, like, group rituals and how people do those things. But when I get up in the morning, like, I love to put on a song that that feels like it opens other worlds for me and dance to it and really embody the feelings that I want to feel. Like, I think when we're thinking about activism and, and manifestation and trying to make things happen as agents in the world that desire certain kinds of connections and, and events to occur the most effective place to start is from feelings. It's not actually from facts or thoughts or plans or like outcomes. It's all about, it's all about how you feel. And when you shift the way that you feel, you shift the way that everything relates to you and the way that you behave and the way that you view the world. So I spend time dancing in my body, engaging with, with ritual music and I inhabit the feelings that I want to feel. And I therefore feel them more. And then I see that effect snowball in my life, to use a negative kind of word, but like in, in huge ways. And I think that's one of the most powerful practices that I can use to ritualize. Like I, I've sort of come down from needing elaborate <laughs> rituals in my life. Um, and I And I like to do that. Yeah.
0: For real, dance, song, storytelling, these are the things of ritual. These are the things of magic. It doesn't need to be anything beyond that. And I love that so much. And thank you for giving us that And we are so grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much, Danica. It's been so great to have you on. How can our listeners get more involved with your work or find out more about you or know what you're up to?
1: Well, I post on Instagram almost every day. That's my main sort of way to get a hold of me right now. So you can find me at danica.voice there. And of course, there's five years of Fair Folk podcast that can be found on any podcast app. It's also on Spotify. Just look up Fair Folk podcast. And
0: and it's so good. Please listen.
1: <laughs> I really, really enjoyed making that. Um, and I also, I regularly offer courses and I do one-on-one coaching. And you can find that on my mailing list as well as just Instagram. I think it's, it's handy to be in situations where you can, Receive regular communication with someone without an algorithm getting in the way. Sometimes,
0: yeah, yeah, that algorithm, man. I'm ready to slay it and turn like grind it into corn. <laughs> but so, how, do you have a website that we could send people to? Or? No, I think the
1: best place to get a hold of me is Instagram, and I do have a YouTube channel now too called Fair Folk Podcast. My partner and I have been actively updating from our travels and, and different rituals that we're doing in the places that we go absolutely worth checking out. We've been building that.
0: Cannot wait. cannot wait to sink into that. Well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. I feel like I'm going to go
1: through my day feeling very enchanted after this conversation.
0: Wasn't that amazing? I was so fascinated by that conversation. I hope you liked it too. I wish that we could be together, all of us, so that we could just go into it and have a deep dive discussion about all of that stuff together. And if you are a subscriber to our Between the Worlds Coven at the Jupiter level, then we can (laughs) in our Facebook group or at one of our Tarot Studio events. Actually, we have one of those going on tonight. Please do show up for that, those of you who are subscribers to our Weird Circle. Next week, please do tune in for the last episode of Season 4. We have the privilege of talking to Banabel Wen about the Ten of Pentacles Talking about tradition, ancestors, abundance, true wealth, how to share it, how to receive it, how to move it forward. I can't wait to go there with you. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you subscribers to our weird circle at the jupiter level get workshops community bonus content and magical support throughout the year we really do hope that you join us in the meantime if you love our content and want to keep us on the air please do take a moment to give us five stars or leave us a sweet review on itunes or share your favorite moments from the podcast on social media Truly, all of it makes a huge difference to us. You can tag me at Oracle Valet or at Between the Worlds Podcast. Not only does your support help keep us on the air, it helps baby witches who really need this content know how to find their way to us between the worlds. So thank you for being here and thank you for helping other people find their way here as well. This podcast is hosted by Amanda Yates-Garcia and produced by Carolyn pennypacker Ricks. Our icon was created by Maria Minnis, a.k.a. Tiny Parsnip, and our graphic design is by Leah Hayes. Thanks for flying with us.